Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. We are back. This is OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. I am Chad Withrow. Paul Kuharski is here. Jonathan Hutton, very well-deserved day off. We are excited. We are always excited to be broadcasting from the 6th and Peabody broadcast studios with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. But we are especially excited today because we have not one, but two major sports happenings happening on this very day. The Masters underway in Augusta. Tiger Woods on the course. We'll get you a Masters leaderboard update here momentarily. And Major League Baseball is also underway with the chairman of the board, David Reed, Chicago Cubs, taking on the Milwaukee Brewers. That's opening up a slate of games on this opening day for Major League Baseball. Paul, it's, a, and it's a, an exciting day in the sports world. Though, is it really opening day if the New York yeah. Yankees aren't participating? Really, yeah. uh, baseball's on hold until tomorrow. By the way, we got a topic coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, uh, a baseball-related topic about something you'd like to see change in baseball. Paul, this was sparked by a question asked to me today on Dan Dockett's show, Don't At Me, about... Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. And I'll, I'll give you a little teaser for what I want to talk about. Those guys need to be playing for the Yankees or the Red Sox and not the Angels. Yeah. If I, could, if I could have some form of collusion in Major League Baseball, it would be Rob Manfred demanding a trade away from the Angels that no one care about, cares about nationally and is in, uh, in the Pacific time zone to go to an East Coast team or a Central time zone team that's of some significance. I'd throw David Reed's Cubs in the mix also. Sure. If either one of those guys play for those teams, especially Otani, much bigger deal for the sport. I'm a set, well, uh, particularly Otani, because, uh, I mean, uh, uh, as good as Trout is, Otani is a generational. I mean, we've never seen anything like this. It's amazing. As big a story as he is, that he's not nearly as big a story as he should be. I mean, it's a two-way play who was MVP last year. But the guy's pitching and hitting. It's unheard of. This is a massive story. If, this, if the equivalent of this, there is no equivalent of this, but if the equivalent of this, yeah, there's an equivalent of this. If somebody in football was playing offense and defense, we would never hear the end of it. There would be weekly updates. There would be, I mean, it would be a massive story. He would be the biggest star outside of a quarterback of anything we heard of, this is bigger than a quarterback. Oh, it would be – the equivalent is, I mean, if you're the pitcher, you are the quarterback of the baseball yeah. game. So this is a quarterback who's also a playing safety. defensive back. Yeah. yeah, you play quarterback and safety in the NFL. Virtually never coming It happens all the, the time in high school football. Yeah. You know, you see the quarterback playing DB or somewhere else on the field. But, man, it's, it's a crazy well, good story in a crazy bad setup for national but interest even there, the he should be massive because he does come east. Um, you know, he's, he's a huge draw to baseball diehard people. I mean, if we were in a baseball city, if Nashville, Tennessee was a baseball city, and it will be someday, 
and Otani was coming here, and uh, whether he's starting or not, that would be a hugely hot ticket. It's a hugely hot ticket anywhere he's going. My kid doesn't know that many players. He knows Otani. He's a baseball guy. I'm a single-issue voter with a different topic on this. A single-issue okay. uh, baseball. I'm looking forward to this discussion. because That's got to be fixed. Paul, I think that we'll start talking about some of these issues, and probably it brings to mind other issues yeah. that the sport should address and could address. Um, and David's not the baseball fan he used to be. No. Uh, he, well, there's a lot of people that are that way. It. He, well, his Cubs, this is where his the, Cubs won, and he was like, that's it for me. I've reached Nirvana. Well, this is where the um, – to me, this is where the topic comes from is because I think there are far too many people that would say, I was a huge baseball fan, but I'm not as into it now. So then I bring up the question, well, why? And then let's get to the root of it, uh, of what could improve, what could be better. Dan asked me about uh, Nashville, where we're based, and what is Major League Baseball opening day like? Because when I grew up outside of Chicago, it was huge. You know, it was an area holiday when the Cubs would, would take the field for the first time. Um, and it got me thinking about what is baseball in a non-Major League Baseball market, and how can it in, improve? So we'll get into that in the 4 o'clock hour. We're going to talk a lot of Masters today as well. Virgil Herring, who's a golf analyst, a longtime friend of our show. I've taken lessons from him. He's a terrific guy, knows his golf. We'll talk Masters with him coming up. Let's talk Masters right now, in fact. We've got a Masters leaderboard update for you. If you're watching, you'll be able to see it. If not, I'm going to tell you about it right now. Paul's guy, Cameron Smith, is the leader right now at four under par. He is through 14 on the 15th right now. Let's go start to finish. Paul, you, uh, Let's do it. you put a little cash on Cameron. Yeah, he's Smith, one of my three you? guys. Nice. Cam Smith, Tony Finau, who just put a ball in the water, and, uh, and Tommy Fleetwood. Those are my three guys. I, I went with, I think, four or five guys. Um, one of them's on the leaderboard right now. Scotty Scheffler, uh, who I picked to win, is at three under par, the American. Uh, Daniel Berger, also at three under par for the Americans. Joaquin Neiman, who is in Tiger Woods' group, is at three under par. Danny Willett, also at three under par. Speaking of Tiger Woods' group, amazing to see the throng of patrons around Tiger Woods throughout today. We knew that was going to be the case. Sung J M is at three under par. Uh, and let's see, Charles Schwartzel at two under, Cameron Champ at two under par. Tiger Woods, which everybody wants to know about, Playing currently solid. one under par. Very solid round so far. Uh, he hit a shot on 14, Paul, that it was one of those where he swung and immediately one hand came off the club and it looked terrible and it went straight left into the gallery but somehow, and there's a lot of wind whipping around right now, uh, he just had a birdie attempt even after that tee shot, and it just went a uh, good ways past the hole, and the wind is an, a factor right now. It got the national. So Tiger's got a par putt coming up. Looking he had good. Eagle putt earlier that turned into a birdie. I mean, that's look, this is, this is the guy everybody wants to talk about, and everybody's there watching right now. And if you go and watch featured groups anywhere, which I am right now, they're showing every Tiger Woods shot throughout this round. Paul, if he can be a round par at the end of the day, that's a huge win. Because I don't think the leader is going to be running away and hiding. I'm, I'm looking at it right now, maybe six, seven under. Yeah. You know, Cameron Smith or someone could get to. If Tiger Woods is under par after one round, that's, that's a great start. We didn't really talk about it. I was thinking about this this morning while I was watching him. I, 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 it sounds hindsight now to say it. I mean, I think predictably, if he's swinging the club well, his best rounds were probably going to be early. 
Like, I, I think it's fair to presume he's going to play his best today, uh, weather, weather uh, aside. Then how does he recover and play tomorrow? Then if he makes the cut, how does he stack a third round on top of it? It's all about how his leg recovers and how he walks the course. Sunday would be his toughest day if he's playing four rounds, playing a fourth round stacked on top of walking the course three times in a row. We'll get Vir- Virgil's opinion on, on this. But he said all along, Tiger, that the challenge is walking the course, not swinging the club. And so uh, we'll, we'll see how he responds to today. And he's early today, late tomorrow, so he's got a quote-unquote late. So he's got good recovery time then. But if he makes the cut, then how early does he play Saturday? That could be a quick turnaround and a real challenge. We did say that yesterday. And that's concerning for him if, if, the, you know, if he's dragging that, that leg around and it's sore. What's the next biggest story at Augusta? All the talk's been around Tiger Woods, and I'm looking at the leaderboard right now, and I'm thinking, what is the great story over the weekend? It's not obvious to me Yet. what that story would be. Something always unfolds. I think it's Sergio Garcia winning you know, a few years back and how big of a story that became over the weekend. But I'm just looking up and down the leaderboard right now, and I mean, look, I, I love uh, New Zealand's own Cam Smith, but I'm not seeing a bunch of huge storylines. Yeah, well, I think right end, now, of, the end of the day, uh, who's atop the leaderboard is probably the story. If Cam Smith, what's he on, 14? He's four under at 14. If he drops a couple more, um, you know, if he's the leader at the end of the day, he's, he's the story outside of Tiger. So uh, also Jordan Spieth at one under, only through two holes. Yeah. Uh, he just recently started, so another name to watch and someone that uh, I put some money on. Brooks Kepka also now on the course with Roy McIlroy, both parred hole number one, so they are just starting. Woods so, up to tied for 10th. He was tied for 24th when I walked into this room not that long ago. So And he's got a tough little par putt coming up here on 14, uh, so we'll, we'll update you throughout the show on uh, everything going on at the Masters and, and let you know what's happening there. Um, Major League Baseball opening day, Paul, you said because your Yankees aren't playing, you're not quite as interested in this being the opening day. I will say, when you don't have a day where pretty much every team is playing, there's a number of teams that'll, that'll start tomorrow. It's always tomorrow. this way on opening day. Yeah, the first, it, first two days, everybody plays, and then I presume Saturday, everybody played. I feel like there were opening days in the past where everyone played. Almost just about everyone would play, except for some game in Australia or something that happened a week before or three days before. I think it's usually this way, split up a little, or at least on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday, uh, the way I picture it is usually there's a Sunday night game, often involving the Reds, that, uh, but they maybe shifted out of that into a, a more marquee game. Then Monday, half the league plays. Tuesday, half the league plays. And then Wednesday, everybody plays. Tiger Woods misses his par putt, a short par putt, so he's going to go back to even par uh, through 14. So, again, we'll keep you updated on that throughout the day. we got a lot, of get, a lot to get to today. Armando Salguero is going to join us to talk NFL in the next hour, 3.20 Eastern time. Uh, Virgil Herring is going to talk uh, Masters with us. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to have a baseball topic uh, in the final hour. Paul, we're going to get more in-depth in this a little bit later, uh, but you had a story today at paulkowarski.com about former Titan coordinator Ray Horton. So Ray Horton and Steve Wilkes are the long-awaited guys to join Brian Flores's um, suit against the NFL. Um, Wilkes basically says, I got fired in a year. I didn't get a DUI like Steve Kime. I was working without a GM. 
for, for four games because he, or however many games it was, because he was suspended. I didn't draft Josh Rosen, who was a bust and out in a year. Steve Kahn drafted him. He, he got a new contract. He's still around. I got ousted after one year. What exactly did I – how was my performance standard worse than his performance standard is, is the tone that I, I read in this, which I don't think are unreasonable questions. I mean, I think universally everybody thought that Steve Wilkes didn't get a fair shake. Now, you can argue about whether that has anything to do with his race or if it was just a bad management situation, unfortunate hire, unfortunate place and timing and everything – and you can argue about how good or, or mediocre Cliff Kingsbury's been, who's got a team that's, that's better um, after it got itself a better quarterback but has consistently fizzled down the road. Ray Horton joined um, on the basis of what happened with Tennessee when Mike Malarkey got the head coaching job after being the interim coach in 2016. And basically, Chad, here in Nashville, it was not a secret that Amy Adams Strunk, a new owner, loved Mike Malarkey. She promoted him to replace Ken Wisenhunt, who was fired during the 2015 season, and he was getting the job. <clears throat> the GM that was coming in at that time, who turned out to be John Robinson, it was basically conditional on that GM that he accept Mike Malarkey as a head coach. And we talked at the time about, well, how good a GM are you going to get if he's got to accept Mike Malarkey as his coach? And Ray Horton, I, I don't know if there was a second. I, you didn't have to interview two minorities at that time. You only had to interview one. Ray Horton, I think, was the only minority coach interviewed then. A story came out right after his interview that John Wooten of the Fritz Pollard Alliance said that Ray Horton was very, didn't feel good about it, felt insulted by it and everything. Ray Horton called me. I was at ESPN at the time. And he denied all of that stuff, said, I felt great about it. I felt like Amy Adams Strunk said that there were things about my interview that she was going to implement, whether I got the job or not. It was maybe the day that Malarkey got the job. Now, he could have been being sincere or he could have been covering his ass because he wanted a contract extension or whatever. But I wrote a piece today quoting that. Went out of his way, said what John Wooten said is not accurate. He's not speaking for me. Contacted you. I felt good about it. Reached out to me to contradict what the Tennessean had reported and said he felt good about it. Now, his evidence is that Mike Malarkey in a 2020 podcast in Pittsburgh basically said the whole thing was a sham, and it was very uncomfortable for him, and in hindsight, he wouldn't have done it the same way. He's sitting with John Robinson in an interview, knowing that he's the next head coach. Uh, he knows that, that Ray Horton and others maybe are interviewing for it with no chance at the job, and this obviously ignited things for Ray Horton that Mike Malarkey took you know, the presumed off-the-record stance on the very much on the record and has now joined this suit based on what Mike Malarkey had to say in that podcast, which I don't doubt that's new information and could have changed Ray Horton's feelings. And Ray Horton could have been fibbing to, to save his career, to, to stay in good. Where is Ray Horton now? Is he still coaching? I think he's out of the league. Okay. Um, and uh, Steve Wilkes is, was in college. I think maybe he just came back into the league. Steve Wilkes was just with Missouri and had a terrible season yeah. as defensive coordinator at Missouri. Um, we're going to get more into the Ray Horton story as it involves the Titans a little bit later. They're no commenting and understanding. My, so they're in a legal My situation. first reaction is, and I want to look this up and make sure, is Ray Horton's not trying to coach anymore. Well, and he wasn't a good candidate for that team at that time. He, he didn't do a good job 
for the Titans. His defenses weren't very good. He didn't have great personnel. And his star certainly didn't rise after that. He went to Cleveland after LeBeau took over play-calling duty. My second reaction to the story is I didn't know about the Mike Malarkey comment. Uh, that was really not a smart comment to make in a podcast. No. So, but Mike Malarkey doesn't owe the Titans any favors. They ultimately treated him poorly. Two years later, he I, went from the sweetheart to I completely, I completely agree. He owes the Titans nothing. Uh, I'm not saying that he does. I'm just saying if that's – when you phrase it that way, they had to go through the Rooney rule first, but I already had the job. Um, it's the gist of what he said. I don't know exactly what he said. Well, He said he didn't feel good about it, so he was kind of siding – yeah, with, I wouldn't feel good. I mean, to, in, Ray Horton, is broken. in Ray Horton's defense, I would probably feel different about that interview if, in hindsight, I heard that. That I, I was already told I had the job. I knew I had the job. They just had to fulfill the Rooney Rule requirement. So even if I felt good at the time about the interview and thought that I had a fair chance, I'd feel different about it later. We'll, I, we'll I'm, not making, about I'm not making this sound right. But Ray Horton was naive if he thought he had a chance at the job then. That doesn't make it right. But you and I and Nashville and certainly every coach in that building knew Mike Malarkey was getting that job. Yeah, That well, doesn't make it right. We're going to definitely talk more about uh, this story uh, coming up a little bit later. Coming up in about five minutes, though, Virgil Herring, golf analyst. He knows all about Augusta National. We're going to talk Masters with Virgil. That's coming up next. This is Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back. Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network, coming to you live from the 6th and Peabody Studios Downtown Nashville, alongside Paul Kowarski, I'm Chad Withrow. Masters Thursday here on the show. We're going to be talking a lot of Masters today, and we're going to do so right now with longtime friend of the show, Virgil Herring, golf instructor, golf analyst, maybe most famously someone who once gave Paul Kowarski golf instructions also, and Virgil uh, is with us right now. Virgil, how are you, man? Good seeing you. Uh, great to see you guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, absolutely. So let's get right into this uh, with what we've seen so far today. Uh, your opinion on Tiger Woods and how he has looked so far on this course, only 14 months removed from a car accident that nearly cost him his leg. Well, I mean, he's even par through 14. I think he's just tee shot on 15, just barely went into the rough. I think it's admirable. Uh, I think that he looks a little stiff. I think some of the, sh the shots that I was concerned about have definitely given him some problems, which is the uphill shots because all of the weight's going to land on his right leg. Uh, so he made a bogey on eight. And you know, at the end of the day, and he had an uphill lie on that on the 14th hole. So at the end of the day, uh, I think that he's doing great. He's still in contention for sure. And he doesn't have to be awesome to win here. So, so far, the most important thing on day one is to make sure you don't shoot yourself out of the golf tournament because you can't win it on Thursday, but you can sure lose it on Thursday. He's in the mix, and I'm super excited for golf and for Tiger at this particular point for sure. Virgil, I want to follow up on something you said there, the uphill holes on this course. What are those holes to watch? You mentioned 8-14 and 14 for Tiger, but if that could be an issue with the leg and how he's having to approach and take shots, 
what holes should people be watching for Tiger specifically? Well, I think that the holes that should be concerning to Tiger are hole eight, his second, and possibly third shots on eight, the shots on 14, and certainly 18. And well, the ones that are really impactful are eight and 18. Uh, and obviously, if Tiger's coming into Sunday in contention, the 18th hole is going to be very interesting, especially his second shot coming off. And most people have, if you haven't been there, you have no idea how uphill that shot is. And with all that weight being on his right leg, and he has to not only load into that right leg, but then his right leg has to push him up that slope. I don't think that to me, that's the thing that doesn't look like it's quite ready for a game time function yet, but I'm super excited about where he's at. That's for sure. I know uh, this isn't necessarily your, your field of expertise, but how do you feel like, the walk will compound itself round by round if he's playing four four rounds. I imagine you've had people who have been coming back from from stuff dealing with with something like that. Probably not a car accident of his magnitude. Well, I think it's it's, it's going to be interesting, right? I think that I was actually the only thing that I was concerned about is not whether he's going to make the cut or not, is if he can even finish four days of golf. I mean, this is going to be really a taxing. It's not an easy walk. Obviously there's plenty of downhill that are really steep that just don't bother his golf swing, but it's the attrition all day, four days in a row, plus you know, the practice rounds. That's my concern is can he do it? Um, I think it's a, it's a significant concern for him and his team, but uh, you got to keep in mind, this guy's threshold for pain is off the chart. I mean, he didn't want a U.S. Open on a broken leg and a torn ACL. So I feel pretty confident that he can muster up enough to, to finish it. I just get interested in, can he hit the shot that he needs to hit under the gun on Sunday on 18 if he puts himself in that position? If he does that and he ends up winning, I can't even imagine a bigger story in the history of sport. But, I mean, at the end of the day, and he's in contention going into Sunday. It's an unbelievable story. Virgil Herring is our guest on Outkick 360. Virgil, we were just talking about this in the last segment, but Tiger is the story, obviously, going into the, the Masters. What's the second best story out there on the golf course right now? If it's not Tiger in contention through the weekend, who are you watching on this course and thinking, boy, this is a great story and something to follow? I think number one is if Rory McIlroy wins, he completes the career grand slam and edges himself in the history of the game forever. Not that he's not already in that group of maybe the top 20 to ever play the game, but if he wins the Masters, he becomes the sixth person ever to win the career grand slam. That's a huge story. And, and to me, unless Tiger wins, that might even be bigger than Tiger Woods finishing tied for fifth. Uh, you know, another story is if Cameron Smith wins, he becomes only the third person to have won the Players' Championship and the Masters in the same year. He's our, he's in the lead right now. He's got a great game for Augusta National. He's competed very well there in the past. Those two stories stand out to me, and then you got all kinds of side stories that would be interesting. You know, Justin Thomas trying to get off the, the major schneid that he's been on because he's one of the best players out there, and he hasn't won since 2017. Those are the ones that stand out to me the most, as in, like, storylines. But without Mickelson being in the tournament, you know, it falls on, it goes to McElroy and then Cam Smith for sure. If Tiger wasn't there, how big a story would uh, it have been that Phil isn't there? 
Well, I think it would be, I think it would be a story, but it'd be a story that would end probably today. today. Yeah. I don't think it, yeah, I don't really think that it'd carry on any further than that because Augusta National really doesn't like the narrative to be anything else other than the golf tournament. And obviously they had to deal with it in 2010 with the Tiger scandal. And that was bad. That was bad enough for them. But Tiger is Tiger. You have to, you have to let that scenario come in. Now the commissioner or not, the chairman said that it had not, that they didn't disinvite Mickelson. And I don't probably say in the context of those words that they probably didn't disinvite him. I just believe that Phil probably knew better and he didn't come, but I think that it would have been a pretty gigantic story up until tee off today. Virgil, when you look at that story, it feels like if someone has some sort of misstep in their personal life or even criminal activity or you know, things like this, you can kind of gauge, okay, this is when and where they can come back from that. And usually you can always come back from it. I'm having a hard time predicting just how long uh, Phil Mickelson's going to be in this sort of professional and personal purgatory based on his comments about the PGA Tour and the league going on in, in Saudi Arabia. What do you think about the comments and what do you think about where Phil is right now in the golf world? Well, let me throw out my disclaimer. I don't know Phil personally, and I don't have this information from his mouth. But my understanding is that he's in pretty financial difficulty. He had to sell his private jet, and things are difficult. So what one of the a great mentor of mine tells me, desperate people do and say desperate things. And when you see all the money that the Saudis are throwing, I mean, they've offered Bryson DeChambeau more money up front than Tiger Woods has made in his entire career. I haven't heard what they offered Phil, but I'm sure it was eight figures or nine figures worth of money. You know, there's that piece. You know, he has, there is some legitimacy to the fact that the tour players don't own their their rights. Like, so Phil Mickelson, that great shot that he hit out of the pine straw to win the Masters in 2010. Mickelson's not allowed to use that in any way, shape, or form. That's one of his gripes. It's like, how can I hit that shot? And that's history. And I'm not allowed to use that. So the fact that the PGA Tour owns those things and the tour players can't use it to capitalize on it, that's one of his big gripes. But when he, he took on the, the commissioner of the PGA Tour and then maybe gave away some things that aren't supposed to be public knowledge about how the tour runs. Have, Phil has been noted for shooting himself in the foot. And he's in some ways, he's gotten away with so many things that not many people could get away with. But he may have sold all of his insurance policy on this one because this is going to be hard for him to recover from. Cameron Smith uh, currently atop the leaderboard six under through 16. Um, I, I would rate him as due because I've been betting on him to win, uh, win a tournament, uh, win this tournament for, for a couple of years of running. Um, talk us through his game, how he fits this course, what kind of chance you give him to, to stay atop the leaderboard for a couple more days. Well, I mean, he's the only person to ever shoot four rounds in the 60s and not win a major, I mean, at the Masters. So in 2020, he became the first person to shoot four rounds in the 60s, and he didn't even win. This golf course sets him sets up perfect for him. One of the things that makes him so dangerous, he plays a game that not many of the better players have anymore, which is he is a great putter. I mean, think about this. When he won the Players' Championship, he had 42 one-putts. I'm lucky to have 42 one putts in a month. He had them in four days. And that's remarkable. On a golf course like Augusta National, that's why he has, has had so much success here because his short game 
is spectacular. And you have to understand that if you're on the PGA tour, you might not hit it like Tiger or Rory, but these guys all hit it good, but not many of them ship it and put it like Cameron Smith. And right now he is on top of his wedge and putting game. And that's why he's so dangerous. And he should be one of the four or five people that you think about winning right off the top of your head. He is a spectacular player. Scotty Scheffler, uh, Three under par right now, three strokes off the lead on 14. A number one ranked player in the world. Uh, what do you think about his play as of late, Virgil, and his chances this weekend? Well, it's hard to really discount him. He's won three of his last six. And, you know, he's the number one player in the world. He's got a, he's got a game that can comp- compete anywhere. Another good putter, not as good as Cam Smith, in my opinion, but a very good putter. He hits it plenty far. And he's got that one thing that you just can't buy, which is confidence. So he's going to be a threat. He's been a threat for a long time. I mean, he basically was in the contention all of last year, and everybody was wondering when he was going to break through. And, you know, eerily similar to David Duvall I mean, 20 years ago, as soon as he won, he started winning everything. So don't be surprised to see Scotty Sheffield put on a green jacket for sure either. Um, I've heard they lengthened 18 18- uh, is that true? And where'd they find the real estate? Uh, I've, I've walked the course for a day. I, I don't have it memorized, but I find it hard to believe they keep finding space to do such things. Well, 18, they can move back as probably as far as they want, because that just basically starts okay. to extend down toward 11. But, you know, 13, they just they bought a chunk of land off uh, Augusta Country Club back behind them there. You know, at the end of the day, uh, Augusta National is a beautiful place because they, they seem to be able to kind of do whatever they need to do to uh, keep this this tournament relevant in how they want the golf course to play. Uh, obviously, they can run out of real estate, you know, in 50 years, but it seems to me like uh, this is I – might, I might almost say that Augusta National is the most powerful entity in all of golf. They seem to make things happen that nobody else can, and um, I like I just love the place, and I think that they they always do a great job setting up the best tournament, and that's why that's why everybody cannot wait to win the Masters. I think across the board, it's the number one tournament everybody wants to win, and it's certainly my favorite. Golf analyst Virgil Herring, our guest on Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. Virgil, I don't mean to ask this like you know Jordan Spieth isn't still great, uh, but he was on quite the tear a number of years ago. And it has not been the same. Not that it would have been realistic to keep up the pace he was on at one stretch in his career. Uh, so I, I ask this knowing, you know, he's still very, very good. But what has happened to Jordan Spieth as he sits here right now, even par through two holes? Well, I, I think that if you play golf long enough, you get into this place where you think that you can perfect the golf swing or you can try to make something that you'd be considered mediocre at and make it something that you're awesome at. So he was not the longest. And I know that he was really shaken in 2015 at the PGA Championship when he really played awesome and just got absolutely boat raced by Jason Day. And Jason Day hit it 40, 50, 60 yards by him on every hole. And it made him feel like he needed to hit it longer. And then there's some trends that are going on in the golf swing world about, you know, putting the club face in a stronger position and your left, you know, the for the right-handed golfer, the left wrist in a more flat position but that requires somebody who rotates really fast well and when it comes to teaching golf you have to match up some tendencies based around what the that particular human's body can do and when he went into changing that golf swing he hit it farther and that's a cocktail for disaster that 
there's thousands of golfers that have been left in in the wake of of that and never made it back out of. He just got addicted to the golf swing. He he's playing golf swing, not playing golf, and it's really sad to watch. I mean, his contortions that he's going through in his practice swings are nearly laughable. And yet, ever as he does that, you know, he shot. He was in the top ten last week, and he always plays good at Augusta National. Once again, he's a great putter. He's got a great short game. And the golf course is fairly wide open off the tee, so he can kind of drive it pretty much anywhere and allow his strengths to kick in. That's why Seve was so great here. That's why Mickelson's so great here. Cam Smith and Jordan Spieth, it's the short game. So that's you know that's why he'll be a contender here. But long term, that golf swing looks, looks like it needs some help, that's for sure. Two other guys I'm curious about. I'm going to take advantage of you while, while I have you. Tony Finau, uh, I saw make a terrible shot earlier into the water. Tommy Fleetwood. Two personal favorites of mine that I always have an eye on. Well, it's interesting. Tony Finau's club head speed has dropped precipitously this year, which makes me think that there's something wrong with his body because he's not that old. But his club head speed has dropped about four miles per hour. So I wonder if he's playing with an injury. Uh, another thing is he went from being – he's not a great putter, but he's he's gone from being a not great putter to a terrible putter. And that doesn't bode well on a golf course that if it doesn't have the most severe greens – in golf, it's in the top three. Tommy Fleetwood is such a great guy, and he's such a fan favorite. But he he lacks one piece, and which is under the gun. He's he, the putter leaves him. He hits it really good a lot, but he doesn't make that many putts when he needs it on Sunday. And if you think about it, I don't really know too many great putters under the gun or that are putting with the claw. If you're putting with the claw grip, that's usually a sign that somewhere along the line your conventional way, it, it got into your head and you can't do it anymore. So I love Tommy Fleetwood, but I don't, I don't really see him being a threat in major championships unless he shoots a 64 on Sunday and comes from out of nowhere and never feels the pressure. And that's usually what happens to people who don't have great putting games is that they shoot a great round of golf with no pressure on them. And then they, they're standing there two, an hour and 20 minutes after they finish, like, oh, look, I won. And they never really felt the pressure of – having to do it in the last group or the next to last group with somebody like a Tiger Woods or a Rory or somebody breathing down their neck. First of all, a couple guys I want to ask you about close to the top of the leaderboard. Sung J.M. is at four under, two strokes behind Cam Smith right now. What do you think about his game? He's only through seven holes at this point, already four under par. What do you think about him and his game and how it translates to this course? Well, Augusta National is it rewards great iron play, and when you think about the people that have won the the most green jackets, Jack, Tiger, Arnie, Hogan, are the greatest iron players of their time. Sung Jae M is an absolute machine when it comes to ball striking. He's an he's a decent putter, but he just absolutely doesn't miss the shots, and that's why he's always a threat. He hardly ever finishes outside the top twenty because he hits it so pure. Now, he hasn't won anything big yet. And once again, I think that's just due to the putter not being there when he really needs it. But this guy can really go. And this is a golf course that's set up good for him because it it rewards his strengths, and his strengths are 100% how well he hits the golf ball, especially with his irons. So Tiger's obviously the story in his group, but it's Joaquin Neiman, the Chilean golfer, who's a three under par in Tiger's group right now, only three strokes off the lead. Currently on the 15th hole, uh, I know nothing about 
this kid? What, do you know about him, Virgil? I'm sure you do. What do you think about him and his start? Well, he's a, he's a very talented player. He plays a lot of golf with Tiger, too, which is a perfect pairing for him. Uh, at the end of the day, the, the, right now, this is today, Thursday. We'll see what happens on Sunday. He is driving it unbelievably long and straight. And for a little guy, and he's hitting like 340, 350 today, bombing it. So he's putting himself in great positions. He's taking advantage of it, which is really critical. And if he can do that for four more days, he's, he's won on the PGA Tour. He's a very talented player. He's young, too. Uh, whether or not he can do it for four straight days, that's another topic for conversation. We'll wait to see. But he is putting on a clinic today with that driver, and he's taking advantage of all of his opportunities. And that's why he's at, you know, near the top of the leaderboard. Virgil Herring, one of the very best golf analysts. You can follow him on Twitter at Virgil Tour Spin. Virgil, thanks so much for hopping on. Really appreciate the uh, perspective and getting to learn a little bit more about this course, about these players in this tournament today. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Not an honor to be on, guys. Thank you. All right, Virgil Herring. So, Ronald Acuna, not a big fan of Freddie Freeman and said as much uh, in an interview on a Dominican podcast. We're going to talk about uh, this story. Discord what, on the champions. What, well, no, no longer. They're not teammates anymore. We'll talk That's about Discord. what Ronald Acuna Jr. had to say about Freddie Freeman. That's coming up. This is Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Well, we got beef. That's what we love on this show. The good beef. Good beef. And we've got a good beef right now uh, between Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna. Freddie Freeman, former Brave, of course. Ronald Acuna, current Brave. I'm Chad Withrow alongside Paul Kowarski. This is Outkick 360. So Ronald Acuna, in a podcast interview on a podcast based out of the Dominican Republic, this was all in Spanish, uh, was asked about what kind of relationship he had with Freddie Freeman, and his one-word response was nada. He went on to say, again, I don't speak Spanish. This has been translated. Said that uh, Freddie Freeman was unkind to him in his rookie year. They had no relationship, and he does not care that he's gone. He's not, not a big fan Wah! of Freddie Freeman. Now, these quotes were put out there uh, by uh, Baseball Gifts. Baseball gifs or gifs, how you want to pronounce it. Yeah. Won't miss we, we Freddie Freeman. Jeff. They had friction. Freeman didn't care when he got plunked over the course of the season. Freddie Freeman was overbearing. Wasn't someone Ronald could ever talk to about anything. These were the notes from the interview. And Ronald Cunha Jr. responded, and I love this, responded to this account and said, in all caps, Paul, I never say that with three <laughs> clown emojis to this. Said, I never say that. Yeah. Any of that. Here's um, what Ronald should have got. Are you finished? Let me let you finish. Yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. Here's I what got Ronald should have gone to Freddie Freeman about. How to sign a, a market-level contract instead of getting ripped off like a bunch of uh, – are they from Venezuela? Uh, the yes. Braves just line up a, Ven a bunch of great Venezuelan ball players and say, here, sign this. You'll play for $5. Well, <laughs> this, this story gets even better, by the way. Um, 
And I love Ronald Acuna Jr. and his his uh, personality, spirit for the game, all that. He also can dog it at times, and he's gotten him in trouble uh, with his team before. So Freddie Freeman in 2019, this was after Acuna got a single on a long fly ball in a playoff game against the Cardinals because he behaved if it was a home, as if it was a home run. And Freeman said to USA Today after the game, it's very frustrating. I think you have that conversation once. I'm kind of beating a dead horse if I keep having the same conversation over and over again. That can't happen in the playoffs. It can't happen in the regular season. So there was some knowledge that Freeman had some problems with Acuna. He was a professional ball player. And things like this when it happened. For an unprofessional ball player. Yeah, and he, he talked to the media about it. And then Acuna is coming back and saying, you know, he wasn't approachable. Uh, we had no relationship. But then when those, uh, I guess the quotes are translated, he said, I never say that yeah. with the clown Let emoji. this be a lesson that podcast in any language on any continent in any country. Someone can figure it they out. They get back to you. Mike Malarkey has learned this today. Ronald Acuna has learned this. I even today. know what nada you know, means <laughs> when he says that. What, what's your relationship like with Freddie Freeman? Nada. I oh, can, I can yeah, read into that and know, know exactly what that means. Uh, and the clown emoji also makes this so much better. So the Braves, Paul, tonight, you, you were saying in the break that you wanted to give some sort of lesson on, you know, championship. Well, you. Uh, you know, the way you go about it. Well, you're big into this. For someone who's so against pageantry in all forms, you're, you've got a lot of opinions on pageantry. the banner being raised. I, I, this is not really pageantry. This it's is absolutely tradition. pageantry. This, That's this all is, it is. You seem to be unclear as to whether they were raising the banner tonight. If you're playing a home game tonight, you raise the pennant. And you play under the pennant as the defending World Series champions. That's how it works. It doesn't have to be a big festival if you don't want it to be. But the flag flies, and you play under the flag that says, we are the defending World Series champions. Raining. You were like, uh, Rain, Reigning champions. Reigning. Not Thank defending. You. Yeah, reigning. Better. Thank you. Okay. Uh, but Chad was unsure. Since He's we're like, being, ah, since we were very technical, and I, yeah, you no, want to be the, the arbiter of baseball. No, I appreciate the correction. I'm not the arbiter. I'm just telling you how it works. Yeah, all but he's all like, Yankees fans believe they are the keeper of the game. Well, he's Paul, like, oh, just put it up Sunday or whatever. I'm like, you don't play a handful well, of doing, games without it up. I said I would like to have the biggest possible crowd. They're doing the ring ceremony on Saturday, uh, and then they're going to do this tonight. By the way, you said this is not pageantry. The definition of pageantry by Webster's is an elaborate <laughs> display or ceremony. <laughs> Explain to me how to a, explain you to me how a it, pennant unveiling is not an elaborate. You can make display. it as elaborate as you want. They could raise oh. the flag while they raise the U.S. Then flag it, during the national anthem. It doesn't. You can you can choose how elaborate it is. Is it a ceremony? I'm saying you have to play under the banner. Is it a ceremony? You can, it's you can have no ceremony. That's all it is. It's not the game. You can it's pageantry. You can decide that. Well, I'm saying you must play under the banner. You love to decide. Pick and choose what you like and don't like. It's been about so long sports. since you had a banner. You don't know what to do with it. It's been 1995. A long time. It's been longer for some. Long. Time. It has been a long time, but it will happen Reed's tonight. Reed's got one more recently. I've got one more recently. Everybody in the room has oh, one you've more got recently. One, so 2021 Nine. is not more recent than 2009? Well, finally, you have one, and I'm teaching you what to do with it. Paul, I have one now. You were teaching me about pageantry, which you claim you hate. I'm teaching I'm you about winning. Saying, I'm winning. I was more into the winning of the, the, the pennant and the ceremony around that and the games that happened. I need you to teach me about pennant. ripping off Venezuelans. Uh, yes. That's what I need to learn. Uh, the, the Yankees could learn a lesson from the Braves on that. Uh, there's no doubt about it. So the pageantry surrounding the pennant unveiling tonight you at should the Braves watch that. game. And then Saturday will be the ring ceremony. I will watch it. You know okay. what? Enjoy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be coaching softball, but I'll be recording it. 
I uh, I need to send I, a text I, out right now to make sure that's recorded so I can watch it. Send a text. I'm gonna cut. You know what I'm gonna your, do to your person. I'm gonna record this and just bring a video to to. We'll put it out on our social media tomorrow, and then we'll have everyone decide: is this pageantry or not <laughs> with this ceremony? Because Paul says it's not pageantry. You, I hate pageantry. You can do it in the right way. But that's up to you. What is the right way? In silence with no one there? Because that would be the lack of pageantry. I would if you do it in front of a crowd with any music and any unveiling, it is, quote, an elaborate display or ceremony. I would turn my back as a protest for the Venezuelan people. I think, Paul, being, is, is someone like a, you, the Yankees fan, who gets so many titles, and it's so regular for you, you need to start the trend of no pageantry around this. I'm do really, it to an empty park. Just around the players, no one else gets to enjoy. It. I'm really kind of dreading this season. I bet, uh, I bet last night on futures for the Yankees to miss the playoffs. I'm hopeful, but I'm not optimistic. Where do the Yankees fall on They're the being list? They're rated of highly favorites. I saw the Dodgers like fifth were big time favorite. Toronto is everybody's. Toronto's favorite. second. People it, it goes love Toronto. Dodgers first AL team on the Vegas odds. I know at FanDuel, uh, the Blue Jays. I think that's Yankees probably the pre- preferred. Um, World Series matchup is Dodgers Blue Jays international. Yeah, I don't, I don't care at all about Toronto. Canada can happen for all I care. I don't, I don't care about the Blue Jays in a in a World Series. Me neither. Yeah. Um, when we come back, we're gonna talk a little bit more Masters. Also, LeBron James, he's picked out another teammate. Believe it or not, LeBron James trying to pick out his teammates. On his once team again. or another team? That's coming up. His Outkick three hundred and sixty.